Well, two true freaks, Cobra Commander here once again. My televipers inform me that you receive over 300 trillion downloads an episode. Thus, we have chosen your podcast on which to broadcast our message of domination. When our pyramid of darkness is deployed, we shall plunge the northern hemisphere into the dark ages once again, shutting down all electronic and electrically powered equipment in the entire... What, um... Huh. Destro, come here. Now, okay, this thing is going to shut down all electrical power, right? So, how are people going to hear the message on the podcast? <sighs> You've won this round, freaks. But the war is not yet over. Cobra! James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle stations. Gardner and Chris Honeywell. This episode of Two True Freaks is brought to you by published Star Trek author Mike Poteet, who very generously donated to the show, and we appreciate it because it helps keep the lights on here at Two True Freaks. And, so thank you, Mike. And ha- having Mike Poteet put his name on it is like having the gold stamp of gravitas just being you know emblem you know the emblem of of uh quality and and intellectual soundness yay intellectual soundness that's what we are so uh so hello and welcome to the show This is probably not what you were expecting this week for Star Trek Monthly Monday. 
So we'll just we'll just sort of explain ourselves in brief. Um, You've got a what lot this really is is this do. is kind of a cover your ass episode because uh, well, I just changed schedules at work, so my my off days are a little bit different. So we had a, a little bit of an adjustment period in our schedules, and frankly, Chris and I we're still really experiencing some serious serious burnout from uh, the mammoth epic that was episode 200 if you haven't hey, heard man, episode that's not all that i'm experiencing burnout from but you know <laughs> that about me <laughs> yes i do <laughs> but uh we were noticing that there was some great chat and some great activity going on in the forum a, a particular star trek film was being discussed i forget how in the world it even came up in discussion now but we were kind of we we're kind of struggling, to be honest, is how in the world are we going to record both of our regular Star Trek episodes, get them edited, and get them up in time for when they were due? In a 24-hour period. Because, yeah, well, we, let me explain are, your schedule, what happened to your yeah, schedule. is Scott used to be off at the beginning of the week. So we could, if we were running late, like the latest we were running, we'd record a show early on in the week to be done by Sunday, you know, Sunday is the magic day to get it posted, you know, Sunday night after midnight to post it for Monday. Now your days off are Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> so, which is which is a great, you know, that's you got the classic weekend now. But in these first you know, the first week of this happening, all of a sudden it places that recording session a day <laughs> before right the due date so we, yeah, we knew this was going to happen so we've yeah. been plan actually had to plan this you know because we knew we were going to have a 24-hour editing period and if it was like we used to do star trek monthly monday as just one show yeah maybe mm -hmm. i would have gone for it but as it is it's it's two you know fully formed shows now and right uh, it just you know yeah i don't know if i i would have had time to uh slap them all together <laughs> by that time so this is the this is our plan that we came up our sneaky sneaky plan well if you uh out there in listener land mr or mrs listener if you're listening to this on monday then this is probably the freshy freshest two true freaks episode you've ever heard because we are literally recording it you know what less than 24 hours yeah I, i've done some five minute freaks about so, I've done some five-minute freaks that I've recorded, edited, and put right up, you know? say that I have, too, now that you say that, but oh, well. Oh, you gotta ruin it. <laughs> That's what I do. I'm the spoiler. The spoiler. But anyway, it is uh, it is very, very fresh. So so here's what we had, we had planned to do for this, is we had talked about doing this, and of course, as I say, you know, things have just been kind of crazy and out of control lately, and my time is simply just not my own lately. I had planned to really bone up on this one, rewatch the movie, take all kinds of notes, do all kinds of studying. Bone up. That didn't happen. This is going to be a very, very, very old school Two True Freaks episode where we're just going to kind of slap the movie in and just run with whatever comes to us. Now, I haven't, I don't know about you, but I have not watched Star Trek V in quite a long time. Now, I know that I could quote it to you, so hopefully that'll kind of carry me through, and I right. won't find myself just getting sucked in and watching the movie. But that might happen. So I we'll watched just, it a couple years like, ago. Was the last time yeah. I saw it. Yeah, probably me too. So a couple years ago, I got the uh, when the special editions started coming out on DVD. I was getting the, the special editions. So as I picked those up, 
I was watching them. And that was probably the last time I watched it. So whenever the Star Trek V special edition DVD, which honestly is a complete misnomer because there's nothing at all special about it. It's got a ton of special features on it, but the film itself is exact same as the theatrical release. There's n- there's no bonus stuff or anything. So I was kind of pissed that they would call it a special edition because to me, a special edition has something in it beyond how it was originally released. You know what I mean? Something you know, special. Or- yeah, exactly. So yeah. Anyway, we have gone on long enough, I think. Are we ready to uh, fire this baby up? Yes, I think we are. Um, well, I think I'll just tell everybody where we're starting at, at, the, at, mm-hmm. the, at the point because they could be watching it on different formats or whatever. But we're gonna when, when we do our three count, it's going to be right when the little band of stars comes flying out to, to go around the mountain. Right. All right, so are we ready? Yes, we are. So I, what I've done is I just I hit play in the DVD and then immediately paused it. So that's where I'm at. I'm actually at a black screen. Is that where that you're at? That is where I'm at. All right, so here we go. One, two, three. All right, and I got the uh, the stars coming in and I, circling around. I could uh, literally hear our clicks happen at the same time. <laughs> it was uh, amazing how we're, we've known each other so long. We're in perfect sync starting our DVDs up. Now, I'm really kind of excited about doing this episode because, you know, we did a lot of work to uh, um, try to get people to give the first Star Trek movie a second chance Mm -hmm. because it's, you know, often under a lot of fire. And this one is, (laughs) you know, this one's always just by almost everybody generally acknowledged as being the worst Star Trek movie uh, this this is this one we might get branded apologists more <laughs> than Star Trek one, but I think this movie is very underrated. I I think this is a very I think it's underrated, but at the same rate, you know, you see I, the, the I, shortcomings. They're oh, obvious. Yeah. This one is not Star Trek: The Motion Picture for me. For Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I, I don't mind being called an apologist for it, and I will defend, you know, with my dying breath. This one here is more of like a guilty pleasure. I don't think it's as bad as people think, but is it a great movie? No, and it definitely has some serious problems, but I, I kind of want to do it kind of 50-50. You know, I want to point out the stuff that drives me nuts about it, but I also want to try to praise up the stuff that I think is actually pretty cool about right. it. Right. Well, this beginning, it's it's funny, and, and of course, infamously, this is one that Shatner was at the helm, and I say infamously, right. but I think he did a good job. He's trying to be really arty here, you know, this is right. a very, uh, and, you know, what really undercuts this movie, and we'll see it time and time and time again, and, uh, oh, by the way, um, yeah, this it, 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 he's trying to do, like, some sort of arty, you know, Akira kurosawa beginning and the the bad special effects always take like the last shot there where he was riding in and they sort of superimpose the smoke going in front Mm -hmm. it looks kind of cheesy and you know he got shatner got screwed on the special effects on this but yeah i think that's one of the things that honestly hurts the movie is that there's some sequences in this that are genuinely exciting and and very cool and very dynamic where he was really doing some original i mean one of the things I liked about this movie was 
I loved the the teaser poster for it, which w- it showed a theater seat floating in space, and it said, "Why are they putting seat belts in theaters this summer?" And it and it was just it said Star Trek Five, and I think this was the one where Shatner's idea was he wanted to do uh, an old fashioned Star Trek that really ramped up the action, ramped up the Kirk, that sort of thing, and and was more like an old fashioned TV episode with a lot of you know, Kirk running around punching people and blowing shit up. And the studio wanted another Star Trek four, you know, more of a silly romp. And I think that a lot of the the moments in this movie that people complain about that don't work with the, you know, the forced comedy or what, I think a lot of that is because that was stuff that was foisted on Shatner by the studio. Right. And so it kind of pisses me off that the studio just kind of, you know, threw Shatner under the bus when a lot of the, the things that work best about this movie are Shatner's doing. It's yes. the stuff that they forced on him that doesn't work for the most part. I I, now, I just want to add that this is the first Star Trek movie to start with a, to have a horse in it. I guess it's a horse. It's got a little it's horn. It's like a pseudo unicorn. Yeah. yeah. But yep. Yeah, first, first horse in a Star Trek movie. But you notice uh, it's blue. I never noticed it was blue before. It's a blue horse. It's huh. it's just like that blue dog that. from uh, Enemy Within, um, and the blue goat from uh, Errand of Mercy, or green, or was it green or blue? I can't remember. Remember, we yeah. know <gasps> you're a Romulan. Why do they never do that? Every time somebody pulls back their hood and shows their ears, he goes, "You're a Vulcan." Why don't they ever go, "You're a Romulan"? Especially since Cybok here is kind of emotional, right? Like a exactly. Romulan, exactly. You know? But um. Uh, this is very. This is a very. Inter- you know, uh, there's always some bald guy with bad teeth who's always like <laughs> the perfect lackey. You know, who's always kind of simple-minded, and there he nice is. <laughs> but what I like about this is, you know, usually Star Trek movies start out with here's what's endangering the universe. And right. This starts out with a character moment. It just introduces a character, and. And, you know, it's not even introducing I, – I, he's technically the villain in this, but he's a very Star Trek villain where he's shaded and you really feel for him. You know, you don't hate the guy. And so it's a very um, weird opening because here you're, you're, you're just introduced to the guy, but he's not like, now I shall take over the universe, you know, and you shall be my first minion or, or whatever. It seems just to be sort of a – a nice little moment and you know it's shocking because he's a um yeah thanks he's a um emotional vulcan you know so i was just accentuating your point thank you i i I wasn't sarcastic with that david warner first star trek movie to have david warner in it oh yeah you're right you're right and first one with lawrence luckenbill too who i meant to look this up earlier today and i totally forgot to do it but if i'm not mistaken I want to say it was before this movie, maybe after. I'm not. I've noticed that strangely, a lot of Star Trek, um, I guess you'd call them guest stars, for lack of a better term, have ended up in other movies with each other. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that he and that woman that played uh, the um, marine biologist in Star Trek Four, I think they were in some movie or something together at one time too. Well, you know, and the, and and. I, maybe there, maybe all these guys Jerry come from some man. really close knit um, management. Nice boots, Kirk. Return of Jerry Goldsmith, which thrilled me no end. Although I really wanted 
uh, what's his name, James Horner to come back. I mean, you know, if you can't have James Horner back, then, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, come on. And, you know, this is a very, very underrated score. One of the things that, that really helps win me over about this movie is that I really, really like Goldsmith's score in this. And I'll point out a couple of, of instances in this movie later on where if you ever listen to the Star Trek The Motion Picture Ultimate Edition, right. which is a, a three-disc bootleg uh, soundtrack, that third disc has a bunch of alternate cues that were not used in the finished film. Some of those alternate cues became cues in this movie. So he never really discards anything. You know, he found a way to integrate them later on. Hey, that's an actual road down there. Did you notice that? You're right. It's a highway. Yeah. You would well, think that they would have reclaimed that by the 23rd century since they don't need roads. That's true. But I think back to the future <laughs> well it, it could be this could be like a national park and maybe they don't have maybe people ride horses around in it and and That's bicycles true. and stuff like that and maybe they don't allow spaceships flying around in it or something i like his little fairy boots and 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 here he actually from the waist down he looks like the uh who's that flash villain the oh uh shit not the prankster who am I thinking? I of? don't know. He looks like he, oh, he, he looks like the toy man, the the real skinny toy man that Superman used to fight. That's who he looks like from the waist down with those goofy pants. He, he looks like the crackheads in my town that wear those <laughs> that wear those sort of pajama bottom, you know, sweatpants and old eighties sneakers. Nice fiberglass rock there, by They're the usually way. Usually skinnier. Yeah, it's kind of shiny, huh? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but um. And and another thing and, and, and this movie follows its weird beginning beat with another with first movie with DeForest Kelly in it. You're right, you're right. Wow, this one's a trendsetter. And um <laughs> it, it I, what I love about this movie is it's it really, really has lots of character moments in it, you know? All yes. the, the the whole the, the first twenty minutes of this are just sort of, of of character moments of the characters interacting with me with each other and it's wonderful. That's what I that's what I love yeah. to see and it's it's something we you know maybe but that might be some fallout from Star Trek Four too because Star Trek Four also had a lot of character you know not as much development but inter interaction you know of. Of course, there's going to be lots of Kirk-centric <laughs> character I'm, I'm moments. Fine with that. Oh, As yeah. I've said a times, I consider Star Trek to be Kirk's story. So I was perfectly fine with him being total Kirk ego. Well, you know, doing shit that he was probably a good twenty, you know, years too old to be doing. And so I was, I was fine with that because I like Kirk. You know, so it's all about Kirk for me. I'm glad to, but yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because God bless Shatner's ego. You know, people are always yeah. like Shatner and his ego. But his ego is part of what makes him, since Kirk is really part of him since he's played him for so long, and he loves him so much, he also loves Kirk. And you can Kirk's ego built Star Trek. There wouldn't right. be Star Trek without Kirk's ego. So, you know, I wish people would kind of get over that a little bit. You know what I mean? Well, they, well it's Shatner's ego that, that turns him off. And, you know, they hear the stories of the, the actors <laughs> having... Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is pretty silly, but I still like it. Although there's some bad effect right there. It's a horrible effect. I'm falling. Yes, whoops. Yes, it's just some... And Spock doing the Superman is kind of goofy. 
Now this part right here is entirely shot sideways, and I think some of it shows. Some of it too. shows. It's just like it's hey, you know, if it works for Batman, right? <laughs> oh, they should have done that. They should have totally thrown Bonanza in there. That would have been great. All right, here's our millionth take on the Star Wars cantina by this point. Yeah. Hey, there's a cone head at the bar. That's pretty cool. And it, and it actually became, you know, it's it's funny that this so quickly became a a trope in movies is the international intergalactic bar. That guy actually, there was a guy who actually kind of looks like Chewbacca sitting there too. He's got <laughs> like the furry uh, vest on with a bandolier across it. Now, it's been speculated that this dancer at the bar is actually one of Morass's people. And I kind of like that idea that it might actually be that they're bringing that into actual Star Trek canon. I think that's kind of a neat idea. I think somebody actually, yeah, m mentioned that on the forum when we were talking about this. That might be where I read that, actually. And uh, uh, this is also the first uh, appearance of a commercial on a TV set in a Star Trek movie. <laughs> Now, this dude here playing Cord the Klingon later played the very first on-screen, um, whatever you call it, Klingon... Oh, shit, what do they call the Klingon high muckety-muck? You know what I mean? The, the, the big, not the emperor, but, you know, the... Shit, I can't think of what they call him. But anyway, he was Kempek on Star Trek The Next Generation. Ah. So was it was one of those, you know, really good wharf storylines and of course that with him was alan rickman from snape from all the um no Harry that's Potter not movies. alan rickman that's david warner was that david warner yeah that's sark from tron oh man they have almost the same voice they do they do and in the next movie well, you know he, what man you chancellor uh gorkun that's it klingon chance that's what i was trying you to know think. what man no i don't accept your answer that's alan rickman man yeah. That is not Alan Rickman. No, it is to me now from Snape. now on. <laughs> I know, but I'm still going to call him Snape from now on. And by the way, this is the first time we've had a character smoking a cigarette in Star Trek 2. You'd think is they would have gotten rid of the cigarette smoking in the future. If, if I recall right, on the old TV show, I remember people maybe smoking from like a weird space hookah or something. Or maybe I'm thinking of Star Wars. But... um. Here's the first kind of action sequence, you know, in the yeah, whole movie. I like and we're... I love the music in this part. Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me. Well, you see, this stuff, this is stuff with practical sets and stuff. I think Shatner did a really good job with the cinematography. His... Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much he was... I have no problem with his direction in this movie. I, you know, I have a problem with... The story and some directions the story goes, but I think he he has a very good directorial eye. No, he has a very lively. Um, he uses very lively camera angles, very lively camera moves. It all has a very. Is that possibly the uh, the bar from from Next Gen redressed? Now that I look at it, it could very well be. Because the bar is almost in the same exact spot as the one on on D on. Uh, I was going to say DS on on Next, Next Gen. Gen. Because when he when he went around the corner to pour himself a drink, that for just a moment I got a flash of like Guinan's bar. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's it's funny um, that this that that this show is dedicated to uh, or, um, 
not dedicated, but you know, um, brought to you by Mike Poteet. Because Mike Poteet <laughs> is another is, is whenever I think of Star Trek Five. Now, whenever I think of Cybok specifically, I think of Mike Poteet. He's really been a champ. He's a big fan of that character, and uh, part part of what now, this piece of music. Right, I'm sorry to interrupt you. This piece of music right here. I just wanted to point out as we're looking at Starbase and all the Star Dock and panning in on the Enterprise and all that, all this music right here, and especially the little ditty that plays under Scotty in a moment when they're on the bridge scene, uh-huh. it's all salvaged from Star Trek The Motion Picture. This was one of those alternate takes I was talking about. I love how he was using the Blue Devil's trident to try to fix the uh, the con, too. That was kind of cool. That girl in the background, just here with the funny bun thing in her hair? Uh-huh. I think that was one of Shatner's daughters. Oh well, he's re- he seems to be really close with with um, one of his daughters. He does like his uh, video, you know, his YouTube videos with her, and I think she's right. written a couple books with him. So I bet it's yeah. her. One of his daughters wrote the book for this. It was called the Make. It was Captain's Log: The Making of Star Trek Five, which I still have not read. I've had it forever, and I haven't read it, but. I don't know if they both appear in this movie, but I know they were both connected because one wrote the book and then the yeoman that brings him, I think his jacket when he comes aboard the ship, I th- is one of his daughters as well. She brings him something. It's a, it's this girl that just walks up and hands him something when he first gets to the Enterprise as one of his daughters. But I think it's the other daughter. I don't think it's the one that wrote the book. I'm not sure if the one that wrote the book is actually in the film or not, you know, on screen, I mean. I get the impression that it's probably been the same daughter. It seems like he has like one daughter who is really into like the whole show business thing. That so maybe he was you know, you know, getting her in. I think the comedy of this scene was completely lost on most people. That it was the navigator and helmsman in the Enterprise got lost while hiking in the woods. That's actually uh-huh. kind of funny. But I don't know if it's the way the scene is written or the way it's acted or what, but I think that it was just kind of lost on people. But I got a kick out of it. I thought that was a very clever little, you know. Part of the problem with this scene, too, though, is that it it, it kind of gives the appearance to the casual viewer that they're actually in, in Yosemite with Kirk and Spock and McCoy, and they're actually not. They were somewhere completely different, if I remember the novelization correctly. Yeah, well, there'd be no reason not to assume that that's where they were, you know? I mean... Yeah. I kind of, as I'm watching this, a little bit of the novel's coming back. I only read it one time. But I like the novelization because at the beginning it added a lot more character to that freaky looking bald toothless dude at the beginning. Because uh-huh. one of the reasons he broke down crying was I think he had like just lost his wife or something like that. So he was like just a mess because when, when he found refused him to go to the dentist and she was sick <laughs> of like looking at that mug. <laughs> I don't feel sorry for him at all. She died of periodontal disease or whatever the hell they call that. The, this scene doesn't a hundred percent work for me. This scene's a little like it's good to see the characters, you know, still joking around and stuff. But it's I, I, I'm always a bigger fan of the these character moments happening in the middle of the action. You know, of of them in their element more than sort of. Although it's pretty, it's pretty funny seeing a, a tipsy McCoy and uh, and Kirk. 
I must disagree. I love this scene. This is one of my favorite moments of of any really? Star Trek. I I, know, I mean I don't dislike just it. sitting around. I don't dislike it, but it doesn't. It's sort of like taking place in a vacuum. You know what I mean? And it's it's it just it's nice, but it doesn't have a um it doesn't sort of have any repercussions into the future of the story although it's it's kind of nice that McCoy brings up his father when he's talking about his beans here because that's going to come up later on but you know i mean say in the beginning of um Wrath of Khan where they have the whole conversation about you know uh, you know Kirk's mortality and his his aging and and stuff just before you know he's propelled into a into a whole adventure that makes him feel young again. And this is just sort of a nice moment between all of them, but I don't know that part right there where he just said, I've always known I'll die alone. That's I cool. always liked that moment because I think that lends in very well toward the end of the movie where it does look like Kirk, you know, oh, I mean, he's left on the planet completely alone to face the monster at right. the end of the, and, and you know, he is in supposedly some sort of mortal peril I don't think it comes off as well, and it's not a really clear, t- you know, callback to this scene. But it, it's sort of half-ass works. But I, I like this scene regardless of if it plays into anything or not. I just think it's a really good scene between the three of them that we haven't really gotten much of out of the movies so far. And you know, I'm okay with it just being. You know, a good little 10 minute scene between the three of them, whether it ties into the overall movie or not. It's just nice to see them hanging out and, you know, plus it's a little bit of character building about something later on in the movie about how they don't really have any family but each other. Right. Comes up again later in the movie, too. Like I said, I don't think it's it's it doesn't lose me, but it just it doesn't. I love how DeForest Kelly looks here because that's very much how he looked when I saw him at that one convention. He he dresses pretty much like that in real life, you know. Now was he starting Did. was he having health issues by this time? I don't think so. I mean, he was just old. Yeah, you know? his voice is starting in this one his voice it reminds me of people who've had like cancer and stuff, you know, their voice they they get a lot of wind out of their 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 sails with their voice and What did he eventually die of? Do you remember? I, I remember. thought it was just pretty much old Being age. Really it? old, yeah. I think you know. You know, probably. I I don't know, man. I'm sure somebody I mean, I will be, tell I us. I'm mistaken, but I I had thought for sure that he just died of just old age. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that he had like a, you know, like cancer or anything. Like, I don't think so. I could be wrong. I like Spock in this one, but he's a little beefy in this one. Well, it's and it's funny you mentioned that too because, you know, now well now I mean Nimoy is really looking really he's like that old man skinny, but when this movie came out, you know, it was there was a lot of complaints about the actors starting to look long in the tooth and and Shatner's beefiness. But compared to how he looks today, now when you watch Star Trek Five, Shatner Give looks a hoot, don't blue. Huh. It was the owl going by. I said, give a hoot, don't pollute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, 
Shatner looks downright slim and trim now compared to, you know, and you know when you're watching this movie compared to what he is today, he's a little roly poly today. What's funny is I've always been much more forgiving of Shatner being a little bit beefy than I, I ever would be of of Spock, of Nimoy, which yeah, yeah, because Spock is supposed to just be the tall, lanky string bean, you well, know, so he looks funny when he gets a little a little paunch. Have on we him. ever seen a fat Vulcan? Second movie to have one of the V'ger probes and a Voyager probes in it. <laughs> now this part right here annoys me a little bit because you can tell that not only was it a different effects house. But it was also a different sound effects house because there's a part here. They try a little too hard to be Ben Burt because Ben Burt was known for putting like weird like bells and screams and things they like that. They put a scream in when it explodes. Yeah. 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 And when the thing gets shot, you can hear it go. And it makes it weird. And it's like, no, 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 no. That does not work at all because satellites do not scream. Well, yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's it's. There's there's a lot the sound the sound design in there there's a lot of like stereo effects and uh, I'm, I'm I'm thinking maybe they were trying to make up when the really bad special effects came in the visual effects came in that they were like we better beef up the sound right you know because <laughs> there's a lot of like you know instead of using a model they've used an optical printer so you'll see a ship flying and it's just a picture of the ship getting smaller you know and that don't cut it after you know industrial lights and magic having done past special effects it also drives it's uh, you know the same old thing that I always bitch about you know why they just kept slashing the budget for each Star Trek movie when we've actually learned that when you make a big budget Star Trek movie it actually makes more money <laughs> that damn light out of my face. <laughs> Look at Shatner, just ready to walk out there and hurt somebody. <laughs> and and if you notice a lot of these special effects scenes that aren't recycled or or whatever are really dark, like they darken down. Like he's like, we better darken these down and just to make it look <laughs> maybe more realistic. Well, you notice they covered for the shuttle with nothing but a light too, which was actually kind of clever. Right. It's a nice way to save some money, but still. Well, I can I can work with that because that's kind of realistic. It's it's the yeah. slipshod space effects. That now this is another piece right here recycled right out of uh, mm-hmm. the unused music from I like that I like the Enterprise reflected you know off yeah. you know the moon with the Enterprise in front of it reflected off the wind that's a great shot I like that and I like this whole part <laughs> I like how Spock just casually cracks him And how come you don't know? Roll, roll, roll your boat. <laughs> the moon should have a face on it. With a rocket ship sticking out sticking of it. Sticking out of it, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Millie's. See, I like that. That's cool looking. With the with the shuttlecraft coming in, that's awesome. 
and it's funny, but it, it's got it, it it's got that. Whenever I hear that theme, it 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 makes me feel a little next gen. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool. And it's the Galileo shuttlecraft. All right, this is going to seem really, really nitpicky. Uh oh. Well, actually, maybe those those garage. I was going to say, it doesn't like ruin it for me or anything. But that that docking bay we've seen, as in like Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Now, granted, this is a completely different Enterprise, but that shuttle bay is supposed to be like freaking massive. Well, I'm but thinking maybe it was like the gym in high school where they can section right, it off section every once, off. you know? Yeah. And I've noticed the guys working way forward, you know, in section A that have like, you know, the produce and storage and stuff don't get sucked out into space. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The color paddle and pa- palette in this movie is very um, earth tony. Yeah, Lots that's of just browns and, and, and maroon reds. And this is also the first Star Trek movie with a flannel shirt, t shirt, and jeans. <laughs> And it's funny that space t-shirts, space flannels, and space jeans are exactly like flannels, jeans, and t-shirts we have today. This guy on screen playing the whatever he is, Admiral uh-huh. or whatever, that's actually um, Harv Bennett, the producer of the movie. Uh-huh. Hey, it's got uh, the Contemporary Hotel in the background there, too. That's pretty cool. Good whatever the hell that is. <laughs> Doesn't it look like Logan's Run or something in the background? Yeah, exactly. There? Coming to you live from the dome. Runner. What was that? <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. No worries. Ooh, there's some fuzz on the film in that cut to Kirk and I mean uh, Spock and uh, McCoy sitting there. <laughs> Shatner gets the nice tight close up. He's doing the full shoulder shrugs and everything. I love, <laughs> I love it. it. I'm loving this. This is just old school Kirk. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, uh, why- I like it when they, when they charge into the city and he's just like beating the hell out of people and smacking people, and it's great. <laughs> nice little piece of dialogue there about how they cover for. Uh, for there not being like, because I was thinking about this movie the other day, you know, in preparation for this, some things I wanted to bring up. And, you know, later on when they get taken over by Cybok and his little band of people, I was like, where the hell were the security forces on the Enterprise? And then I got to remember, ah, Skeleton Crew, you know, which is, uh-huh. oh, you know, in later movies, how they always covered for that shit, you know? Well, you know, the ship's in pieces and blah, 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 and we're not really doing so good, and we don't really have that many crew members aboard, you know, so they didn't have to, you know, pay a, you know, a cast Bunch of, of extras, yeah. <laughs> I love my captain's seat. I could be wrong, but I think that's stock footage. Enterprise. Oh. <laughs> I've been sort of I've been sort of considering anything where you can see the the spaceship move and it looks dimensional as being stock footage. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> the fresh footage is just now, 
I wonder, did the people who figured out how to speak Klingon just go through all these segments of dialogue and, you know, interpolate as much of the language and the rules of the language for this? this? By this point, there was actually a a, a Klingon language that somebody had down. All right, then that part was stupid. Just because the ship is having problems doesn't mean that the little log recorder would be popping apart and being all good. That's just dumb. I'm sorry, that one... I can't forgive that one. Now I noticed is this. I condemn I it. This, I've seen this movie so many times. This is one of those things that one day while I was watching this suddenly popped out to me that never occurred to me before. They're supposed to be studying the records on the the three people that got kidnapped that they're going to rescue. Cord's the only one that they ever look at. They never even look at the other two. Yeah, where's 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 Severus Snape? <laughs> you see when I watch watch scenes like this this is what makes it's it's sort of like a insurrection it's it's an episode of the TV show you know mhm it's 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 by by this time the movies had gotten to all the tropes like the TV show. Wow, what a whatever's filming him is tracking really nicely. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not. He's got that ball-headed toothless dude <laughs> doing all the camera work for him. <laughs> he's actually an out of work uh yeah, he's rec- <laughs> yeah, he's got well, a, he's not, got a steady camera rig on. I love this set. I really like this. That's that's another thing that I, it's a minor thing, but it's another thing I really liked about this is that you got to see somewhere different and get a, a, an idea of the spaciousness of the ship and all that. And I, I think this is a really neat. You know, set design here, very you know, a nautical callback and yeah. all that. Well, look, there's a wood floor, and the the um like arm rail around the bridge looks like it's um made out of wood. You know, there's a and uh, there's that there's a lot of shots with that um steering wheel in it. You know, the old you know ship steering wheel in it. There's right. There's just a very natural feel to the, you know, he was definitely going for something, some comment on the organic, you know, starting it out with his characters in the woods, you know, on earth in a very mundane setting, even though he's, you know, rock climbing and stuff, but it's, you know, it's, it's very linked to earth nature, you know, and uh, from this point on in the movie, I noticed a lot of the cinematography has darkness around all the edges and just a center point of light to keep everybody's faces lit all Mm -hmm. everybody's faces are all separately lit and just sort of separated and all around the edges there's a lot of darkness and and blackness probably to suggest the mysteries of god it being just out of our grasp and in the darkness hiding amongst the nature 
Now, it doesn't strike you as odd that Spock doesn't take the moment right there to, uh, you know, maybe kind of mention to his two best friends that this is his brother that they're going up against. He's probably just doing seems... the Vulcan. He's probably doing the Vulcan thing where he's kind of ashamed of him, and, and he's gonna pull the well. You didn't ask if it was my brother, so I didn't tell you. You know. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty much what he ends up saying, but it's right. still I mean, on. You know. You would think we'd be past that point of you know, that that kind of thing between Kirk and Spock at this point. Well, there's another there's another point in here where Cybok himself says to Kirk, you know, you know, you guys are supposed to be best friends. You don't know that, you know. Right, exactly. That's a cool shot. Although as it gets further away, it looks a little cheesier. Uh-huh. <laughs> now you'll notice this is another thing that always drove me nuts. In the back of this shuttlecraft, they've got what? Like a good 12 like Space Navy SEALs back there. Where the hell are these guys when they actually land? All you ever see is Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Sulu. Where the hell are the rest of these commando guys? They all get killed? Or, you know? mm -hmm. They're back having a smoke at the shuttlecraft. Mm -hmm. while they let the captain charge into danger. <laughs> Ain't my job, man. All right, you space marines guard the shuttlecraft. Um, I thought this was a nice moment with uh, with Chekhov. He finally gets to shine a little bit and do more than just scream, scream. for a change. So that was nice. Did you know that uh, that they actually wanted um, what's his name? Axel Rose, Sean <laughs> Sean Connery, to play Cyborg. That would have been awesome. At least that's, that was a rumor I read somewhere. I thought you were going to say have um, Axl Rose appear to sing, Take me down to the Paradise City. <laughs> see, here they go. Hup, 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 hup. And then it's like the last we ever see of them And then them they're again. gone. And they got eaten by the Sarlacc or something. I don't know what the hell happened to them. <laughs> You're a Romulan. <laughs> Shouldn't they have high-def TVs by this point? You'd think so. <laughs> well, we do by this point, so what the hell? Paradise sucks. Yeah. We need to have Arnold Schwarzenegger walk in and go, Give those people air! <laughs> <laughs> it does. It looks like the same rundown dump in, as the, the mutants were living in mm -hmm. in... Uh, Total Recall. Dude, that has got to be one of our next commentaries is Total Recall. I was watching that the other day. God damn, is that still a, a good fun movie. movie, yeah. Oh, it is a well, blast. Well, we did Robocop. We're, uh, we're, yeah. That movie is a ton of fun. We gotta do that one. Speaking of a ton of fun, here we go yeah. with Nick Burr up get the, on the... Get the eye Nicole. bleach ready. What's that? It's the most beautiful thing I've seen because there's never been a woman on this planet. <laughs> You know, I'm not above admitting that I have had some serious freaking dry spells in in my you know in my sexual lifetime, but not that dry. Damn, I'd have to be pretty fucking hard up. Is all I'm saying. Mm, disagree. <laughs> For myself, you would hit. You would hit Grandma Ahura out of principle. <laughs> just out of principle you'd be doing your duty is that what you're saying i would i would tell I, I i have a feeling it wouldn't be so bad come on take one for the team 
There's there's worse grandma. I'm not saying, you know, the thing is, she's not. I think you should play it by her. While you're at. <laughs> Hello, boys. <laughs> Hello, boys. <laughs> but, no, I've seen much worse gilfs than, <laughs> than <laughs> Michelle Nichols. I love that freaky ball-headed guy. There's oh, he's in every movie. There's one in every weird movie like this. Usually, they're in Escape from New York ripoffs and stuff. Well, see, Shatner's not even bothering to cover up his face. Why don't they just look down and go, "Who the hell are these guys?" <laughs> That's not Pete and Al that we sent out to the ridge to keep a lookout. <laughs> Take it out your damn self. First time with a phaser bazooka. I actually like that. I think that's a cool idea. Uh-huh. Phaser bazooka. That's cool. <laughs> like I'll just check out well, it's, jumps. It's it's I mean, it was sort of like um um in the the very in the the very first episode with Captain Pike where they had the, you know, the What's phaser for? on a tripod. <laughs> Smack right there. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> he has a little trouble with this guy, but he gets him. Get off of me, you crazy bastard. That's cool. There's the security dudes right there. All right, I guess there are some of them. They're still letting the captain charge in first, though. That's funny. I don't think he would let them not. I've heard so many nerds complain about that scene. Why the hell couldn't Spock neck pinch a horse? He ne neck pinches every other damn thing. Why couldn't he neck pinch a horse? But you would, would have the similar nerves in similar that. places. Yeah. I like that. That's cool, too. Ow! Alright, I have to make the obvious joke here. Kirk's about to get himself a little pussy. Oh, no. Sorry, had to happen. Nice kitty. Maybe I got a milk bone. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no tail, though. Was there no tail? No. no oh, you're right. Where is it? I'm, I'm, oh, there it is. I'm, oh, there yeah, you're is. right. <laughs> no, it's dead. Because she kind of looks dead to me. Uh, nothing better than a wet pussy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the joke if this was, movie was made today. <laughs> would you mind handing over your weapons? No problem, you Professor bastards. Snape. <laughs> and look at that Dude. Those the bald lackey always is like standing off to the side of oh, the guy, like the, staring up at him adoringly the, the, too with his left right there. He looks like the crypt keeper. See him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 <laughs> yes. He's kind of like the the crypt keeper with hydrocephalus, or a little. He's got a little <laughs> bit of the the um the freshly made emperor from episode three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unlimited power. <laughs> So tell me, how did you round up all these sand people? 
I want my teddy bear back. Spock, I love you. Steps back. Oh, that was cold. It's me. It's Cybok. Where's my hug? <laughs> Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk's got that same look on his face from Savage Curtain where Spock sees uh, Surak and, and Kirk goes, Who? <laughs> <laughs> I love that, you know, because they they know every like human uh, historical figure they ever run across, like Abraham Lincoln or what. But they run across like the most important Vulcan that ever lived, and Kirk's like, "What? Who? <laughs> I don't study Vulcan history, even though Spock knows about every Earth human American <laughs> right. person right. in the past." Another thing I like about this oh, is this is another great scene coming up here in just a moment where he realizes he got duped. My ship. Who are you? James G. Kirk. Captain of the Enterprise. I'd like to see him just belt him at that point or try to anyway. And then the, the other guy's got to hold him back. <laughs> Look at the ball I had to do. I know. <laughs> So, but the bald-headed dude always has his mouth open, and too, and usually people with teeth like that don't hold their mouth open agape like that all the time. You know what I mean? Party on, dude! <laughs> <laughs> he did for just a second. He reminded me of Abraham Lincoln from the end of Bill and Ted. That's another movie we need to do a commentary for. Yes. Timely, too, because uh, supposedly they're making a new Bill and Ted movie. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. You know what, though? While I'm I'm intrigued and everything, but something hit me is that we don't have uh, uh, Rufus with us anymore. No. Uh, George Carlin. That's happy effect right there. It looks like the Star Tunnel or something. That's weird. Kiss me, you ridgy-headed freak. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know there's a lot more sex on a Klingon ship than there is on a Federation ship, too. Those Klingons are rutting in, in the hallways. And, uh, <laughs> there should be a bag of Klingon potato chips that says, Klingons have rut ridges. <laughs> red alert! It's always red alert. That looks like crap. You see, this is where I think... Shampoo on Nimbus 3? What's that? He's, do they not have shampoo on Nimbus 3? He's got, like, permanent, like, greasy head. Yeah. Uh, no, probably not. See, this scene right here completely works for me. I really like this because it's it's exciting. It's there's a lot of tension in the air. I love the the use of the red color and everything. I love the Enterprise just sort of hanging in the foreground. Yeah, that that is a that looks like that's probably an actual just lit Enterprise hanging on a string outside. It looks like a real space shot. But what I like about this movie, too, is, you know, it's just a little adventure. 
Mm-hmm. There's not a million lives in danger. There's n- hardly any really l- real li- lives in danger in this, you know? It's, and right. I love how he goes, let me do something. See, I like this. I li- Kirk's very mm-hmm. clever in this part. <laughs> he says, emergency plan B, and everybody on the bridge looks what? at each other. The hell is emergency mm-hmm. plan B? <laughs> you see, I thought at first that this he was going to use this to, to draw the Klingons away from the Enterprise and, like, you know, maybe get captured by the Klingons. That's how I thought it was. I, but this the, the, the only thing that undercuts this scene, once again, is the special effects. But they're not quite as bad as they're going to get in the future here. Right. That the shot that of the shuttlecraft heading in towards the Enterprise is a little optic optical printed green screeny looking, but yeah, I mean some of them definitely look better than others. The one in this, because like the the practical effects look great yeah. when the shuttlecraft comes careening in and the nacelles get ripped off. That's yeah. some exciting shit. But then it's immediately followed up by one of the worst effects in the entire movie, where the Klingons fire on the Enterprise. And you can see it's it's almost like a Monty Python cutout. Yes. It kind of sliced off the screen into warp speed, and you're like, ooh, that looks like shit. It's, it, but, it's really funny you mentioned that today. I just found a 15-minute How to Make Cartoons video by Terry Gilliam back from the Monty Python days where he shows yeah, how he... That's from Star Trek Three, right there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. Yeah, because it's dimensional. <laughs> Yeah, that looks all right, but it's right here. That right there is freaking awesome. I like that. We're all getting t- tossed around like Lois Lane inside there. Well, like an old TV show, too. Yeah. Throw some sparks up in the air and, and everybody wiggles around. Now. Zip. <laughs> red, red, red. Right, right, now, was right. there something wrong with the uh, with the Enterprise weapons? I think I might have missed that part. I can't remember. Is that because I'm thinking? Wow, you know. Okay, I don't so remember any mention of that. Yeah, I remember the the Klingon, or I mean, the Klingons are threatened to shoot at him, but I don't remember what. Why couldn't they just say, "Hey, if you shoot at us, we're gonna blow your asses up"? The, the, I mean, they've got a, a Federation starship. It's bigger than that stupid bird of prey. The Klingons in here are almost an added, like they're they're an added space battle element. But to the story, they're not really needed. This movie could have actually done without the whole subplot of the Klingons chasing after them. Because... Alright, this right here, unfortunately, is one of the few moments in this movie that is... I don't know if it's so much badly directed or just badly lit. Because it's actually very exciting and a very good bit of wire work and special effects... But it's so damn dark and directed so herky-jerky that it's hard to tell what it is. It's Cybok using his full Vulcan strength to toss Kirk around like a freaking rag doll. But it's just not done very... See, it's so dark. Yeah. A, a lot of this he movie is, is, ver- a lot of this movie is very dark. Yeah. I mean, he's just throwing him around like nothing. But I don't think it's direct... Or not so much directed. It's not lit well. I don't know if it was... A, it, 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 to tell you the truth, it has the look to me like they masked it a little, like they, like they, um, 
like they uh, stepped it down to make it darker to maybe hide something or right. to fit in with the rest of the the sort of dark look of the rest of it because the enterprise is very well lit you know sometimes the inside of a shuttlecraft can be very moodily lit but usually the enterprise is like white walls you know and i mean this is so dark you can't really sometimes like a lot of times make out the features on their faces it's weird <laughs> all right you want to hear really geeky so Cybox steps right up to, to Spock's gun. Right. It's the thing right in the middle of his chest. Implying, if you shoot me here, you're going to kill me because this is where my heart is, right? Not on Has a it Vulcan. Yeah, exactly. Remember that? What was that one we just watched a little while ago where Spock took a round right in the back? And McCoy had said, if your heart was where a human's was, you'd be dead right now. Remember? What the hell episode was yeah, you that? you should have put the gun right up to his head. That's usually a lot more effective, <laughs> you know. Spock. Spock would have been like in, like, just like 20th century zombie films, Captain. Zombie films? <laughs> a 20th, 21st century idiom, Captain, involving the dead. <laughs> there was even a Star Trek comic in the 21st century. It looked a lot like about. this guy standing behind me right now. <laughs> <laughs> that guy looks like he uh, the bald guy reminds me of the goonie guy i can't remember the actor's name he was in all the old um he was in the hills have eyes right he was in all the old twisted sister videos right just somebody who's used their natural i've always wondered why some of the people that we know who haven't used their natural gooniness to have a career in movies standing around just being the the goony bald guy <laughs> i think john Graw, you know that we went to school with could have done that <laughs> if he shaved his head what does that say don't use while in space doc is that what it said or do not use while in space why the hell not All right, now I want to know what that button does. I want to push that push button it. Once, <laughs> just to find out what the hell goes on. The ship just falls apart. Push or the self shiny candy-like button. <laughs> A panel lights up and says, "Please do not press this button." <laughs> Down in space dock. All right, this is starting to seriously fucking irritate me now. <laughs> down while in space dock. <laughs> don't use the space bench while. Maybe they don't want. <laughs> maybe because in space dock the gravity could get so you could fall into the. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 collar pieces that they have, especially Spock's, remind me of these um these uh, ceramic plates in this one restaurant that I had to work in that we made souffles in. That's not actually the toilet, is it? Oh, maybe it's a space toilet. Yeah. A space privy. You'd think they... Yeah, because it looks like there's a little lid there that he might be sitting on. You'd think by this yeah, time they... You know, the last thing you want to be doing is sitting in that nice restaurant that they showed in Star Trek Three. you know, where out the window they, you could see the Enterprise... And see, like, turds floating by, you know, because they've sp flushed the space toilet, you know? I, I think they take the waste and they use the, the, the molecular elements in it to recombine into their foods with the food synthesizer. 
I think in next gen they do that. Now why don't do why don't they just beam the the shit out of their colon? <laughs> do they ever get constipated and like go down to sick bay and McCoy's just like, yeah, we'll just beam that out of there. I don't think they were refined enough with the tra transporter technology in this era, but probably by the time of like, uh, yeah. what you call it, next, next gen, gen. We've isolated a a clot of 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 rare roast beef, Captain. Because in that in that episode with with uh, Worf, where his shot his spine gets shattered and they have to replace it, don't they end up doing some sort of thing with the with the transporter to give him a new spine I or some shit? Like I don't recall. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> everything, everything is brown and earth tony. Yeah. Kiss me, you fool. <laughs> Alright, come on. They're on a starship now. Wouldn't they be down raiding, like, you know, ship stores to get some decent clothes on now? Wait a minute. I thought they were operating with a skeleton crew. Who the hell are those people? You know, I just realized this is moving along rather nicely, though, isn't it? Yes. No, this... this this movie is real. I think it got a bad reputation, and maybe a lot of people haven't gone back to it. You know. I do like the bridge set in this one. It's not. It's nice. What's weird is they change it for almost every damn movie. You know. Because I think it's changed again from this by the time of the next one, isn't it? It's, it's well, much more like stark and metallic. Yeah, in the next Starfleet's one. fickle. They like to redecorate every <laughs> six months or something like that, you know? Well, the only problem with that, I mean, I have no problem with them, like, changing the, the paint job and the carpet and stuff like that. But as I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> the I physical can't layout? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it was beautifully illustrated in the... Uh, the nitpickers guides that the the location of the turbo lifts change from movie to movie so and that would be like taking a 23 story building and go i don't like where this elevator is right. and, and moving the goddamn elevator right. i mean when, imagine what a freaking nightmare that would no, be you usually design the movies from the you know around the elevator shafts <laughs> right jesus that one the bald guy there just said Look like you're really stoned and staring into the sun all the time and aim your head at Cybot. That was his sole direction. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Shatner was getting lots of fat jokes by this time, but not, I mean, you look at him now and it's like, wow, look at him slim and trim with his, with his weave and going and everything, you know? It's always bugged me just a little bit when Sp when Scotty ends up blasting through this wall that the wall didn't really look really thick or sturdy to begin with. <laughs> no, so you would well, think that if, if Shatner just repeatedly threw himself against it, he might eventually break through to the other side. Well, it also uh, break on through to the other side. Well, it also looks like it also has that look of you know uh, 
a cutout from a set of a play or something, you know, where they cut out a smash <laughs> hole, you know, and and somebody and somebody on the other side, they're like, okay, cue the the effects, and then the and then somebody pushes the piece of cardboard out of place. God, I would love it if one of these tubes had like the chemical formula for like ketchup, mustard, and uh, and mayonnaise, like those tubes at dinosaur. Yes, because <laughs> that's a great visual gag. They should do something like that. <laughs> well, they're the colors of mustard and ketchup not... and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Now, does this part irritate you? Because I always thought this was kind of funny, but it's another one of those things where the fans get all worked up about it. I like that where where he knocks himself out. That's a great effect. Well, they always say something. They always say, you know, Scotty would know, and that it's like, yeah, that's the joke right there. You right, know? exactly. He knows. He's just not paying attention. He's sitting there going, yeah, I know, blah blah blah. That's why he hits his head, not because he's doesn't remember that actual girder. Yeah. Quick, Sulu, give him mouth to mouth. That scene with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in the in the big open area there reminds me of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in reverse where they're getting sucked up towards the... <laughs> I have a feeling I might be way ahead of you where you are. I'm not sure. No, I'm just I'm just commenting on things oh, okay. late. <laughs> I don't know this flying effect thing. You you can tell exactly how it's done. <laughs> oh, it's happening. It's yeah. easy. Yeah. Well, it, it has too much bounce of of. We can see the shadow of the of the armature behind yes. Spock. <laughs> That's Spock. a whole lot of decks, man. Spock, you have to burp. <laughs> Where the hell were they that there were 78 decks? I know. That's what, about 780 feet, 800 feet? <laughs> That's nicely lit, though. I, I like the, the look of that. Although, why is he calling to anyone in the sound of my voice? Why doesn't he call Starfleet directly? Are they that far away or something? Well, I mean, yeah, it always seemed like... Um, it was. It always seemed like it take, took a while for messages to go to stars. For, what was it? Subspace communication...
<laughs> okay. I can't believe Kirk never takes a poke at him. <laughs> it's just not like Kirk. No, it isn't. Maybe just because it's Spock's brother. Maybe because he knows he's a Vulcan and he'll kick his ass. <laughs> Could never be broken. <laughs> I actually like this part a lot. Yes. No, this uh, this section in here, this next 10 or 15 minutes, are probably, I think, the most, the heart of the movie, you know? Oh, absolutely. And... And I love that it's a lot of character. It's just character. It's stuff. It's stuff about stuff that's going on within each character, instead of you know, the probe is going to blow up the Earth in in two hours if we don't get our shit together. I think there is just something a little bit. I don't know. Weird or something about the insinuation that that kirk of all people would be afraid of the unknown that that's a little strange you know i mean this this great explorer that you know has become a legend of you know starfleet in the model by which all other you know starfleet captains will will forever be judged and everything and this guy is coming in with the insinuation that that he's afraid to explore you know this this great unknown mystery type of thing. Well, because that's they, they always do, that's what those guys always do. They always say something like, "Ah, yes, you're always jumping into the unknown in space and stuff like that." But can you jump into the unknown inside of yourself? <laughs> uh oh, Scotty's moving Scotty's in. Scotty's getting Spock's ready to take one for the team. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's got some bony fingers though. Oh, Scotty, start sucking his finger, please. No shit. Never saw that shit. That's that's where that was going right there. The American Indians called it maze. <laughs> See, everything in this really works for me well, except for the ultimate destination. The idea that they're actually going to go to a physical place to to meet you know, a, a, a god or the god, that's the part where it all falls apart. If it was more, I mean, I don't have an answer for how it could work better, but more of a, you know, just going with this whole philosophical thing that, that he's doing with wanting to, to cure, you know, if yeah. there was a different... Well, I think most religions... With him, you know? I don't think there's many religions also who think of, like, God as being someone who's a localized entity, I think the only ones that I can think of off the top of my head of the major religions are like the Mormons. The Mormons think God actually lives on a planet like in this. But, um, you know, I mean, God is generally considered to be everywhere, you know. It, it, right. And in some ways, if you're thinking of it in the, you know, in, in say the Eastern way, he God is the sum total of everything. So, yeah, why would you have to go to a planet you know, but I, I, you could pass it off as, you know, God wants you to come to a planet because it's like a test. You know, you, you have to go on a hero's journey to, to get to God. And God maybe sets up barriers to, to weed out everybody until, 
you know, finally the right kind of people or after a certain amount of technology, they finally get there. So that could explain the God living behind a barrier. This, this whole scene with McCoy and his father is like, it's painful. It's very, very intense. Did you notice the, the water on the window, the rain on the window? Mm -hmm. I always thought that was a nice touch. And, and notice the, the light up in the, up at the ceiling is a very, you know, old, right. um, almost like a gaslight, you know? Yeah. I like this, how these, these dream sets open up, but they're actually still very much attached to the actual place, the actual physical place where they really are. But there's like it's details just, in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's very dreamlike. I, I really like how that it's very cool. They never really address it. But, you know, there's a the whole thing, you know, Cybok is basically it seems like he's able to use the Vulcan mind meld in a different way. He's basically right, yeah. using the mind meld to psycho to break to break down people and brainwash them. This is very standard brainwashing technique, although, you know, Cybok is obviously not like Jim Jones, he's not like his motivations are good. He really believes what he's doing, and he really believes he's helping people. It's very Star Trekky, you know. He's not a he's not a a thin, thin penciled on mustache, you know, villain. He's ba barely even a villain at all, you know. Yeah, see, I don't really think of him as a villain. I, I really don't. I, I think that he's uh, more of a, like a foil, really. Not even that. He's, I don't know, he's almost like a tragic character. Mm -hmm. But this scene right here I always thought was very, very powerful because, you know, DeForest Kelly, while he always got some good, you know, zingers and one-liners and, and stuff like you very rarely got to see him truly act. Well, And I like this part because he's, he does seem genuinely torn up. And I like how angry he gets, you know, with Cybok. Yeah, it's not something anybody's going to enjoy going through, reliving, right. you know? <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure this has lots of, re you know, I, I remember I've, I've, I've been, you know, at the side of my f the father, you know, the a father who's frail and, and, you know, basically gone from what they once were. So that's, you know, there's a lot of people. I mean, almost anybody of a certain age has that experience but the whole the whole twist here with the whole story is a nice little twist too you know that there was a cure <laughs> right after his father died right as being sort of the you know the twist in the heart for McCoy See, now it's like a set within the set. That's just yeah. really cool. I like that. And, of course, the thing behind them with McCoy and his father is now gone. That's cool, too. Now, see, this here always bugged me a little bit. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be canon or not because I can't remember where I read it or heard it or whatever. But I always thought that Spock wasn't naturally conceived. Like, there, there was a little bit of science that had to be worked there in order to create Spock, you know, from, from his parents. But uh, I, that, that could have been one of the novels or something. I'm not sure, but it still seems very odd 
if this is a literal memory and not just like a like some sort of interpretation, why would they go to some dank cave somewhere for her to give the birth? Vulcan you know? birthing caves, <laughs> the ancestral birthing caves. We go there because we're ashamed of the primal act of childbirth. I like that part though. The birthing the caves mute the cries of pain <laughs> of the Vulcan woman. The best part of this entire scene, of course, is Kirk, mm -hmm. where he refuses. And I love his reasons why, mm -hmm. because, you know, our experiences and our pains and our everything, it he, makes us the people that we are. He wants his pain, yeah. Yeah, I like he that. What does he say? I need my pain. I've always wondered if he had submitted, though, what would have gotten dredged up? You know, what would it? What would be Kirk's big thing? Edith you know? Keeler, maybe? Maybe that would have been really that would have been really cool actually. That would have been cool. That she was alive when. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of things. They, you know, there's a lot of things it could be. You know, it could be his regret about you know Carol Marcus or you know the death of David mm -hmm. or you know Miramani. It could be a whole lot of different things. You a know, Khan would have been a really neat one. You know, like like you know. The, the the feelings of hatred of Khan as sort of his enemy, but at the same time, maybe a, a lot of guilt for having sort of been responsible for putting Khan there and, you know, indirectly driving him insane, you know. Or maybe the guilt for all the societies that he completely fucked up <laughs> and walked away from. But of course, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it, you know. It, it totally makes sense that, that Kirk would not go through it. I belong here amongst the stars. <laughs> I, I, I like that look that Kirk gives Cybok yeah. after Spock tells him that he can't go with him. Just like, huh? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I like that little moment that Cybok has after Kirk tells him he is insane, where he almost, it's like he snaps to his senses for just a second. And he's like, a am I? Yeah, am I yeah, yeah. Really? Well, that, that actually kind of proves Cybok's sanity, you know, that he'll actually question it, you know. I would be a lot more forgiving of this part here if this was the same barrier from where no man has gone before. Because the idea that they've gone to the center of the galaxy, for one thing, it's pretty ridiculous, but also that they made it there this fast because it throws off everything else in star trek that comes after it you know that they they don't have that ability or at least not to be able to reach it that quickly i mean because in in voyager for example they get thrown to a different quadrant of the galaxy and it's going to take them something like 70 years right. to get home you know and that's down the so, line I mean, with this, warp technology too yeah so this this is like in a single afternoon they're gonna go all the way to the dead center of the galaxy. It just it doesn't work, well, you know. Fr frankly, this effect also looks like an old Japanese 
you know, <laughs> cheesy, you know, cheesy sci-fi it's movie. It's Godzilla. Yeah, exactly. It looks, you know, it looks like there should be '60s go-go dancers in front of it. Hey, Warner finally washed his hair. Fascinating. It's a planet. This is the first Star Trek movie with a planet. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, this movie doesn't get the credit as a trailblazer that is. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. Where he touches, he puts his hand on the little, the little plate there that says to boldly go. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. It's Krypton. <laughs> is it possible a planet in space? You know, for all their trepidation about going into that thing, you know, all they hit was a little bit of turbulence and that was it. They were through to the other side. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was, I think that was sort of point that I think that Cybok had been saying. It's just smoke and mirrors, you know. It, all the readings say that, it's like all the readings say that you're going to be destroyed, but if you take the leap of faith then and just go through it you'll be fine you know but you have to have faith that you're not going to get just completely destroyed <laughs> I like that part it's like the whole I'm going to blow up the arc Renee part yeah right yeah there. yeah He's looking a little old right there, I think. I didn't think so earlier in the movie, but in this part he does. He looks haggard or something. Really? Don't you think? Yeah. It might just be the lighting. <laughs> it could be. There's a lot of smokers on that planet. <laughs> <sighs> I gotta be honest, this is usually about the point where I can just kind of tune out of this movie. So it, it gets hard from here because there's not a whole lot after this point that I really like. Well, in the in, in Shatner's in William Shatner's movie memory book, which I listened to the audiobook, I mean, he talks a lot about this movie. Most of it is about this whole part of it because this was where they sort of they had the ending. I think they were not sure how to end it, and they did it a few different times. But you know, they had you know. I guess at the end they were supposed to, you know, have this wonderfully animated rock creature and stuff, and you know, the face of God was supposed to be. You know, it was supposed to be, you know, the big showcase for all the special effects in the movie. And when the special effects came back from the special effects house. They were insanely underwhelming. And I think, if I remember right, what they did at that point was they redid all the special effects and redid the ending to sort of um, make up for it, you know, to make it a little more like the rest of the movie where they make up for it by using perspective and stuff. But, you know, come on, the grand... Um, 
um, meeting of Kirk and God is a bit underwhelming, <laughs> say the least, you know. Hey, that shuttlecraft's named after Doc Brown's dog. I just noticed that. What is it? What was his? I didn't see it. What was his name? Copernicus. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, Captain, in the mid-20th century, there was a doctor who had a dog named Copernicus. <laughs> I would love it if they walked out and their eyes started bugging out and everything because uh, they like Schwarzenegger. Check out the oxygen. Yeah, exactly. They're on Mars. <laughs> Get your eyes to Mars. God is like, I don't know. I was expecting Martians to come here. <laughs> Not these guys. <laughs> <sighs> Once again, to the like Paramount, bat you almost expect to see the <laughs> Gorn come walking out. <laughs> Give up, Captain. I'll be swift and merciful. You intruders. <laughs> yes, this this ending definitely was not was like semi salvaged from the original. I'm sure. What what it was supposed to look like in Sh Shatner's head was pretty spectacular, you know, and grandiose. The problem is, though, is that I want to believe that, but everything I've heard about, you know, the things that he complains about that got slashed out of the budget and all that don't really sound to me like it would really be that much better. I mean, like the friggin' rock monsters. Because when I, when I saw him live, he, he came to the Gwinnett Civic Center back this was 95 i think and i went and saw him and he talked an awful lot about this movie which was you know it was very interesting well, this, this was the, the movie he was the most involved in you know oh yeah well some fool made the mistake of asking him you know which was his favorite movie and of course it's going to be the one that he directed duh you know so he talked a whole lot about it and you know he he really you know he was sour grapes about you know how they had slashed his budget and he didn't get his rock monsters and all that but i got to be honest i mean i don't think that you know if he had gotten you know the the dozen or so rock monsters that he wanted to right. get would that make a big difference i mean the end of the movie just kind of sucks i mean there's not really you know any two ways around that that it just kind of peters out and has kind of a, a, a crappy ending mm -hmm. and I don't think rock monsters were were the answer you know I don't think that's what you can you can point to and go look you know if I had just gotten my rock monsters it would be a great movie no I don't think so dude I think that your problem was is that ultimately you you're chasing God I think that was the real problem with the movie you know I I think I think this movie works really, really well if Cybok had just had a different mission. Like, you know, he, he wants to help people and ease people's pain and everything, but by doing this and being deluded, he gets the idea that, you know, he's got to destroy something that's causing universal suffering or some bullshit, and it's not in line with... The prime You, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, something like that, you know, something that's threatening something or something that's that's a little more Star Trekian rather than, you know, God actually lives on this planet in the middle of the of the ga of our galaxy by the way, not just the universe, but our galaxy. 
and he actually lives there like Santa Claus, and we can go visit him, mm-hmm. you know, in his, in his secret planet. I like That's that, like Santa Claus. ridiculous, well, you know? Well, you know, I think what they were doing was, it reminds me a little bit, <clears throat> pardon, of um, the legendary story of when Harlan Ellison, they asked him to come up with a story treatment for the first Star Trek movie, and he said, you know, they they it's end up at the at the end of the the galaxy, and you know there's a barrier there, and they poke a hole in the barrier, and they see the eye of God looking back at him, and Paramount was like, no, it's not big enough, and he was just like, well, count me out, <laughs> and I think maybe you know this was Shatner maybe thinking, um, you know, let's let's find, you know, I mean that's the eventual sort of end of Star Trek is let's get to the face of God behind the end of the universe or whatever. Right. Well, that's why I think it would have been a much better idea if rather than going inward to the center of the galaxy, they were going outward. Because I remember hearing a story pitched one time, and maybe we're talking about the same story, I'm not sure, where they're flying along and all of a sudden they basically hit the end of the universe. And they break through it. And when they get to the other side of this wall, this barrier, they're actually like, it's like the face of God or something like that. Yeah. You, you, talking about that's that what might it be was it was that sounds like the treatment for the that harlan ellison gave for the motion picture when they were in yeah. the development stages of it that has a certain weird appeal to it to me i mean <laughs> i like this part well i think they were i think they were sort of paying tribute to that and that's that's a good effect right there what was my son you do not remember me i am jor-el <laughs> exactly <laughs> do you um what was the Tim Allen Star Trek sort of parody movie? Oh yes. Um. Um. Oh shit. But um, do you think the rock monster in that was their it. sort of giant? I, I know. Of I know. I've seen it like a dozen I times do. too. Yeah, I do absolutely believe. And that, that has Alan Rickman in it, actually. Yeah. But um, this dude right here. Right. By the way, I just have to point that out. Um. The guy playing God right there, you mean Gandalf, is the <laughs> he's the same guy that played uh, Admiral Hansen in Best of Both Worlds, the the Borg two parter where, where Picard gets turned into a Borg. Oh, uh, I am. That's that's still in our future yet because I, I know am, you haven't seen yes. it yet, but that is the same guy. I am Moses, the lawgiver. This I do love this scene. <laughs> I, I I just I, I would I, love it if he gave. Cybok two tablets with commandments, and that was the end of the movie. This would rule. <laughs> <laughs> I give you these fifteen. <sighs> but, but God has a little bit of Wookie mouth going on too. I love the part where Kirk is like, "Excuse me." I love that. When I saw this movie and that happened, I was just like, "Yes." Oh my God! God is Shazam. Yes, he is. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I do like this part. That's a great part. Bring the ship closer. I like the guy's voice too. Yes, He's got a great voice. Well, they put some a lot of electronic weird yeah, n- yeah, yeah blah, blah, on it. Well, see, here's where we start to get to the to the core of the apple with this thing. And once again, I, I would love to know. Oh, by the way, I failed to point this out before. This is uh, this is actually <laughs> a true first. This was the first Star Trek 
that was ever in production at the same time that there was another Star Trek going on, which was Next, Next Gen was on TV Gen, while right. this was coming out. So that was the first for Star Trek. But I'm wondering, where were they in Next Gen at this point? Because at this point, we start to realize what's going on here. And this is another scenario like Armus, where this godlike being did something wrong and his godlike brethren banished him to this planet behind the barrier where he's been for eons, you know? So I'm kind of wondering, couldn't they have gone with Armus or, you know, or I don't know. Or a Q. Or, yeah, an, an exiled like Q or something. Well, actually... I don't think they had the whole at, Q thing maybe developed that much yeah, by this time. I don't time. think it was that far along yet, but I was looking at something online today reading up on this a little bit and there's a book or something out there that does tie this god being into the queue he's not one of them but he's i don't know i'd have to read more about it i I haven't read the book or anything so i don't know all that much about it but it does end up where they they try to tidy up the story a little bit and explain it a little bit better as far as who he actually is and i like, really like the burn pattern right through spock there Did you yeah see that? yeah it goes up through his through the shoulder and out the back yeah, that's pretty neat. He's creepy. He's creepy. <laughs> Looks like Jesus right there. A pissed off Jesus. <laughs> Kirk is smoking. I know. <laughs> It's the second time somebody's been smoking in a Star Trek movie. Puny things die horribly. <laughs> what have I done? You crazy bastard, you've killed us all. <laughs> Yep, it is. So why don't you stay here and we'll go back to the shuttle. Yeah, yeah. Good work. <laughs> Good work. You were always a fuck-up, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Mom always did like you best, Spock. Okay, now that's like uh, Lazarus right there. Yes, in, in yes. <laughs> it just needs to go into the reverse image you know that's pretty cool that's reminiscent of star trek the motion yes. picture i like that okay i like this part in theory except i'm pretty fucking sure that a pro a photon torpedo packs a hell of a lot more punch than that less of a localized so, yeah something that yeah. you can jump over a rock away from right right exactly, exactly. nice styrofoam rocks you asshole, you blew up the Fortress of Solitude. Oh, I'm melting. What a world. <laughs> and nobody notices that. Once again, this is an instance where I think the computer should be given the ability to speak up and go, um, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, Klingon bird of prey. Hello. <laughs> beep 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 beep. Just something like I, that would do it, you know. 
have we not learned by now that you know you don't wait to notice these things you give the computer the talking computer <laughs> enough brains to alert you to something and not wait to be asked oh shit See, I think this movie is prime. I love the look on Kirk's face. <laughs> I think this movie is prime for somebody to go back in with digital effects and really jazz it up. Because, like, I would love to see a CGI like God monster, like actually like racking the the shuttlecraft, you know, like trying to tear it apart with its bare hands yeah. and shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, would it save the movie? Probably not, but at least it would jazz it up a little bit. It would just be hard to find anybody and talk them into putting the money into doing it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. At this point. Well, there's been an online petition for years. But, like, this right here... In a few years, we'll be able to do it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, we'll we'll be able... Right there is prime for somebody to be able to go in and add those things. Yes. Because, you know, you're already seeing the shuttle rocking about and being torn in two it's just there's nothing actually shown doing the the job as much as i absolutely hated hated this stupid subplot with claw uh-huh. this solution right here was actually classic yes where somebody remembered duh we've got a klingon general on our right, ship right here with us That's- yeah and come to think of it, you would think that Claw would notice him standing right there, too, but I guess he doesn't. Give me his coordinates! <laughs> you, you, yeah, you'll, you'll notice in all these scenes here, when you see spaceships, they're cut out pictures. As they fly, you don't see any dement. You don't see around the court, you know, it's right. just chintzy and by this yeah, that's why i was saying when when the enterprise went into warp speed in that one part where it was being shot at it does it, it looks like something out of a terry gilliam like flash cartoon. animation it's, or something yeah yeah it looked like crap see kirk's rock climbing skills come in Always handy come in handy blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> That thing more than more than ever looks like Shazam to me right yes. now. <laughs> Say my name. <laughs> now I like the spotlight on Kirk by the Klingon ship, but it's still that was this total Star Wars ripoff sound effect right there too. Oh shit, I failed to mention earlier when we were talking about sound effects. There was a lot of sound effects in this uh, uh the Klingon ship earlier on that were taken from uh, War of the Worlds, the original War of the Worlds, like the sound of the uh, the gooseneck ships from War of the Worlds. Oh, that's cool. There was that. There was something else, another classic sci-fi sound effect, too. I can't remember what it was. Some, other, some different ones, though. It's kind of neat. These Klingon guys are huge. dude reminds me of frank cannon (laughs) 
Well, Kurt does it. It smells like the fucking monkey house at the zoo here. What do you guys <laughs> just piss on the walls? <laughs> You're a Romulan. <laughs> now, this is the first appearance of the character Spock in Star Trek. Yeah. The introduction this of This guy's going to go places, he's, I think. He's, he's going to be a recurring character, I think you'll find. Spock. <sighs> Spock. There were two sets of footprints, and then there were one set. Why, when, why did you leave me? <laughs> I was carrying you, Captain. Kiss me, you pointy, <laughs> pointy-eared <laughs> bastard. <laughs> ah, there's plenty of fan fiction that takes it from there. <laughs> mm, Tranya. That's a good shot. I like that one. Give him a broadside. <laughs> Dude's got some serious liver spots. Yeah, no shit. Well, <laughs> racist asshole. <laughs> Well, as we're finding from reading the Star Trek comics lately, there's a lot of racists in the in the there's Star a lot Trek of universe. I guess. Star Trek. Yes, there is. It's disgusting and hilarious. Damn! Look at all the Romulan ale. All over I the think place. it would be funny in Star Trek if all other species considered humans just the idiots of the space world. <laughs> that would be just a riot, you know. All the other aliens are telling human jokes and shit like that. It would make a lot more sense for Spock to be so ashamed of his human side. <laughs> Welcome to Earth. I love you. <laughs> <sighs> What's the matter with you now? Well, at this I point... I was thinking about the brother that I just lost that I never talked about in 30 fucking years of Star Trek. That I didn't give a I'm shit about. Now. Yeah, exactly. now all of a sudden I'm sad. Exactly. I, Come on. Come on. And it's not like they reconnected in a warm, awesome way. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> well, at this point, the story sort of run out of steam. Well, actually, about five minutes ago. The whole story of this has run out of steam, you know. There's, there, you know, I mean, there's just some. Here we come back around I do full like circle. This ending, though, believe it or not, I know it's not the biggest, most glorious send off for the end of the movie, but I, I like it. It's simple and it's a nice little character piece again. Well, it also shows Spock has taken the time to actually learn "Row, Row, Row Your Boat" on his uh, right. space guitar. Yeah, he sings too. If I had a hammer, <laughs> I'd hammer in, in the, the morning. morning. I'd hammer in the evening. All over this land. <laughs> There's something about the flatness of Nimoy's voice when he sings that's very hard to replicate. It's an amazing kind of flatness that I actually like, but it's just bizarre. I'd hammer out danger. Ah, oh, Jerry Goldsmith. God, I miss him. 
I'm really, really hoping that see, with all these... See, it uh, was Alan Rickman. I told you guys. It is not. <laughs> it's the first Star Luke Trek Rickman. movie with Alan Rickman in it. And Spice oh. Williams, that's John Williams' daughter. I wonder if that's she Cynthia was a Spice Gow's Girl. A lot of people don't know that. Never <laughs> Spice Williams. I don't know any of these people. Harv Bennett, see? Starfleet Chief. Oh, he was the Chief of Staff. Okay. Nice. Yep, Yeoman, Melanie Shatner. Oh, so her name was actually Shatner? Her character's name was actually Shatner? No, no, uh, her character's name was Yeoman. Oh. <laughs> Yeoman, no name. Didn't even have a number attached to it. I don't think that's such a bad little movie. No. I really, I got a kick out of it. I had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I think maybe a lot of the people, maybe a lot of the problems with it come from the fact that uh, the ending sort of does peter out. So that's what you're left with at the end. Like right. when you went to the movie theater to see it, that's what you walked out thinking of is that last 20 minutes. Well, that's something we never even got into in this is when, when and how did you first see this movie? I think I saw this on video with you maybe around the time where we were living in Rochester. Yeah, that wasn't very long in the future after this came out right. because I was trying to remember the, the timeline of this. I'm pretty sure, this is very sad, but I'm pretty sure that I saw this movie completely by myself the first time I saw it because I think that, uh, that Tammy and I had just broken up. Because I remember us going to see Indiana Jones, which came out the same year. You know, the uh, Last Crusade. Right. And Batman. Batman came out the same year as well. And I remember us going to see that together. Because this is 89, right? And it's funny because we just drove by the place where the theater that we saw both those movies used to be. It's a parking lot now. It's totally raised flat. But, yeah. that we What, the, the Salmon Run Mall? No, this was... No. I saw uh, I saw Last Crusade and Batman at the Salmon Run Mall. I was, I was in Rochester when Batman came out. Right. So, oh, okay, I thought you were saying we watched it together. Okay, so no, I'm, I was oh, in yeah, college. We together, I'm pretty sure, it was probably on video when we saw it together. Yeah. But not talking like when you, when you saw the movie for the first time. Yeah, I think that was the first time I saw it. I don't think I, I'm I'm pretty positive I did not see this one in the theater i think this might be the only one of all the original star trek ones that i didn't see originally in the theater i have not seen on wow. a big screen i saw it on video and i've seen it a couple times since then you know what's weird is the only ones i haven't ever seen in the theater was the very first one and the very last one uh -huh. i because Nemesis came and went so fast at the theater that was our local theater at the time. I, I missed it. I had fully intended to go see it, but it was just there and gone in like a weekend, and I didn't get to see it. I was so upset, you know? Because I, I like that one a lot, too. That's one I wouldn't mind doing at some point just to do like a, a defense of because I really enjoyed that Now, that'll one, be one I'll be playing. The I'll, I don't like that one at all. Nemesis, you don't? That was the last one, right? Yeah, yeah, I did not. I, I, I actually walked out of that movie really pissed off. Really? Huh? Yeah, I, I, I was not a happy camper at the end of that movie. I, I, I remember saying to myself, "Well, I'm done with um, Star Trek movies unless they do something 
Yeah, sort of paramount. <laughs> so unless they do something radical, because yeah, I, I'm not. Oh, so it's you, your fault. You know me. I'm usually very forgiving and not very nitpicky and stuff. But I did not like it at all, and I haven't seen it since. So I'll be eager to see. It. Maybe I'll like it better seeing it after all these years. But that I just remember. There's a lot of things I remember. Yeah, not buying a like well, the see, basic the, the premise. Thing, the thing with that one. And we, we, we should hold the main discussion on that until you know until we do it. We, we do a thing, but the main one for that I think is that it, it's much like this movie. It's not a perfect movie. I fully acknowledge that, but for me, it's it's all about the second half of that movie. I think the first movie, or excuse me, the first half of the movie rather, is where most of my major complaints and issues with the movie are. But once the second half of the movie starts, from that point to the conclusion of the movie, I dig it. I think it's a really good action-y Star Trek movie. It's just the the setup in the first half has all the stupid shit in it, you know? Yeah. I but have once to see it again. I remember that, really not liking the end of it. <laughs> but that'll I, I, be an exciting episode. We'll be at each other's throats. <laughs> well, we'll have to do more of these. Well, what I was going to say earlier, though, about uh, Jerry Goldsmith is, you know, here lately, there have been so many, you know, so, you know, long, long-awaited uh, Star Trek scores that are finally starting to to be released. You know, they finally did the full, you know, release for Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three, and you know, all the next-gen stuff that's coming out and everything. I hope and pray that they skip right over Star Trek Four and do an expanded, you know, a full score release for this movie because love or hate the movie. This has good really, music. really yeah. good music in it. It's it's a great Jerry Goldsmith score, one of his better scores. And sadly, you know, all that's out there is the shitty commercial release, and then there was a shitty bootleg a few years ago, and that's that's it. That's all there is. And it's got some really good Jerry Goldsmith stuff in it. So, you know, I ho- I hope they put one out there. I'd I'd really like to hear that. But uh, I I had a lot of fun. I thought this was this was pretty cool. Yeah. I was worried we wouldn't have enough to carry us through on it, but we had more than we, enough. I think we had plenty. Jesus, it's hard <laughs> to get us to shut up even when we don't know what we're talking about, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, next month we'll be back with two Count 'em 2 episodes, and they'll be the episodes we promised you last month. That hasn't changed. Cool. At least Excellent. I don't have to fire up that goddamn... Yeah. Crankety computer to figure out what we're going to watch next. Yes. That decision is already made. Yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's gotten to that. I think we should bugger off now. <laughs> yes. Thanks for listening, two true freaks, freaks. Bye. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com 
and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something. Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf. And you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, two True Freaks. Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.